Reformed Church. So tonight is going to be, basically, we're sort of going through these different things in order with the temple, right? Um, recently, we've been talking about more of this room, and even we were talking about the candlesticks uh, and stuff in, 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 the, um, in this room here, but even when we were talking about the candlesticks when the showbread, and I would encourage you to listen to that, um, we were talking about them in relation to how they're supposed to give light before the oracle or before the conversation place, and we were talking about how the cherubim represents the eyes of the temple, and the Ark of the Covenant has the law um, on the inside of it, and the law is between the two eyes of the temple, and, and that's where Deuteronomy 6, um, and also a host of other verses in the Bible, tell us to keep the law. And so we've been going over that whole thing, the whole like temple hearing from God aspect of things, and, and the revelation that's in our belly, the light that's in our belly that you know, gives light to our mind. And so that is all sort of the trajectory right now, and I probably have another two, three weeks of talking about sort of in that vein, but tonight is going to be kind of like interjecting this little timeline that I want to go over tonight that um, is not, you know, on, on its face exactly, um, doesn't seem exactly relevant to the points we've been making as far as the trajectory we've been going and talking about the conversation place here and the mind of the temple. But there's a particular point in this timeline that I'm going to go over tonight that, is, um, that I need for the next few weeks. So we're going to kind of interject this whole message in there, um, mostly for just this one particular point that I need for the few, few weeks to, to, to come. Um, but that aside, we are talking about the temple tonight, but we're actually going to be talking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and I'm going to show you biblical proof for this, and then we're going to show how this relates to the temple as well. And um, again, there's going to be points in there that we'll use in the weeks going forward, but this is going to be a little bit of um, some, some changing, um, changing of gears here um, to, to a certain extent. So because we're going over um, some symbolic stuff today, um, never get tired of of this, but I am going to just show you a few words before we get into it. And the nice thing is with the glossary, I don't really have to go over it quite as extensively um, as I ordinarily would have to, but it is important to go over these words. This is going to pay dividends for you for the rest of the message. So, like, really lock these words in. Um, it's knowing these words that unlocks the rest of the symbolism we're going to talk about. It's going to be really cool stuff. I was literally, I was reading, reading uh, the the what I'm calling like the temple timeline sort of. Uh, I was reading that earlier just to review, and as I'm reading it, I'm like out loud, just reading it by myself saying, oh my gosh, like this, is, this is so good. So this is going to pay off for you, but just, just stay with me on the words here. So we have um, some symbols to go over. This is not a symbolic definition, which is why it's not on our glossary, but priests in the Bible, uh, Pastor I was uh, mentioning this even recently as well, but priests in the Bible, um, do represent us depending on the context in which you're reading it, right? Um, that's not the definition of the word priest in the Bible. I don't know the definition, but I do know the Bible calls us priests, right? Kings and priests to God, and um, we will go over some of those verses today. Um, obviously, Jesus is also called our high priest, but I'm fuzzy on the symbolism beyond just the fact that I know the Bible calls us um, priests. Um, there are certain things I know. I, sh I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. There are certain things I know because we're going to go over the priest's job in regards to the temple later on in, in, in the, um, the series. But um, 
But anyway, I just know that much, okay? The Bible definitely calls us that. You can throw up 1 Peter 2, 2, uh, 2, 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. And I'm just going to start reading. And Brother Andre, we're going to test your, uh, your Bible verse putting up on the screen skills tonight because uh, I have a lot of verses tonight. So it says, but you are a chosen generation. He's talking to believers here. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So right there, he's calling us priests, right? Um a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should, so this is your job as priest, to show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's your job as a priest. Now, here's the part I do know about us being priests. There is, you could throw it up behind me as well, uh, Romans 15, 16. There is um, a thing um, with being a priest that has to do with offering people up, people that are not saved, offering them up to the Lord. And sort of uh, like, we, for instance, when you, when you get somebody saved, when you preach the gospel to them and they get saved and they receive the Lord, you've offered them up to the Lord as sort of an offering to God. And you can see that even in Romans 15, 6, Paul refers to even the Gentiles as sort of like an offering. He says, uh, the, uh, the ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable. Um, so you can see he's offering people up to the Lord. You can throw back 1 Peter 2, 9 again. So I know that that's one aspect of being a priest. Some of those offerings, therefore, I know that the priests make in the Bible are symbolic of people that you're offering to the Lord. Um, again, I'm, I'm fuzzy on certain things, but I, um, that's why I'm giving you scriptures. So I, I know these things are true. Now, um, what he specifically says in 1 Peter 2.9 is that we are a royal priesthood, which kind of goes with kings and priests, right? Royal for the king part and priests. Uh, us being priests, it says our job as priests is to show forth the praises of him. The praises of the Lord who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the Lord redeemed us and the Lord set us free and we're, we're sort of praising him in the hearing of people. That's what, like preaching the gospel is. You're praising God in the hearing of people. You're, 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 you're attributing good things to the Lord in the hearing of people. They hear that, they get saved, and uh, the way that it goes is that you've offered them up to the Lord when that happens. You've, you've added them to the church. You've added them to the body of Christ. So, so that is... For sure, right? Because we, we have the scripture right in front of us. That is for sure something we do in the office of being priests, right? We're proclaiming the praises of the Lord. Um, again, in the hearing of people. That's sort of like our witnessing to somebody else. Um, the, the, the next word I want to show you is the word darkness. If you look at our glossary, it means um, something that's, that's making something invisible, not visible, right? Um, the word darkness in the, in, in the church today is used for the word evil. Okay, some of us may even sort of erroneously maybe use that word that way sometimes. You know, I, I find myself sort of saying, for lack of a better word, because we use the word dark meaning like evil. Like if you see a movie and like, oh, that was kind of dark, you mean like it was evil. That's not really the right word, usage of the word. It doesn't mean evil. When the Bible says kingdom of darkness, for instance, that doesn't mean kingdom of evil. Like, oh, he brought us from the kingdom of darkness, come to the light. You know, we got too much Star Wars in our head, we're, we're, we're thinking of it that way. And, and there's a reason why culture views it that way. Um, and there's therefore also a reason why, um, I should say, there's a reason why the church views it that way, and it's because culturally that's what it means. But in the Bible, dark could be a good thing. It just depends, right? Um, it just means something that's, being, uh, something that's hiding something or making something not visible. The word cloud also is either similar or the same. I don't know if it's more specific or more general, but also refers to making things not visible. I'll show you one verse that kind of gets both those words, um, defines them both um, in one. Um, and that would be Acts 13.11. But you, remember, you can go on our glossary, reformchurch.com slash glossary, and there's multiple verses for each one of these 
these, um, these words. We, you have to know this, though, because it's, like, it's going to really pay off later. Um, Acts 13.10, if you even look at the usage, right? Look at the usage, how God uses these words, because there are words that God says in the Bible that are symbolic. Um, and he says um, here, uh, and now behold, this is actually uh, Paul talking to this sorcerer at the time. And he says, now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing. Not seeing. You see that? You will be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And then look what he says after that. And immediately there fell upon him a mist and a darkness. See that? He says you're going to be blind, not seeing. You can't see something, and therefore what fell on him? Blindness, not seeing? Doesn't say that. It says darkness and a mist. Um, again, there are many other verses in the Bible to... to, to um, that, that will substantiate these things, but you know, you could, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 speaks about the hidden things of darkness. We already know, right, that we went over recently that the word light in Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians 5, it says whatever makes manifest is light, and on the contrary to that, dark is whatever makes not manifest, right, whatever's hiding, whatever's making things not visible, uh, and the same thing for cloud. Um, I won't go through all those verses with you, but, um, you know, there's, um, uh, in addition to that, Ezekiel 32.7 talks about um, things being made dark and how a cloud covers and does not allow light. Um, Job 3.4-5 through 5 talks about darkness and um, not allowing light to shine and then um, uses darkness in the word cloud actually synonymously and with that whole covering concept. So anyway, lots of different verses, but we'll, we'll leave that alone there. Next word would be standing or arising. I've been over with this with you guys before, but uh, it means active, right? So if something's laying down, it means at rest, right, like idle. And if something is standing or arising, it means that it's active, it's, it's moving. Uh, again, there are verses online for that. Quick one is, what is it, Hebrews uh, 10, 11. Talks about when, it ta when, when, when the writer of Hebrews wants to explain that the Old Testament high priests were always working, trying to take people's sins away, and they never could but Jesus has already finished his work. To explain that, he says that the Old Testament priests stood daily ministering. They stand daily ministering. And then regarding Jesus in verse 12, he says that after he had made one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down. You see, the sitting is referring to Jesus finished. I'm finished working. I'm not active. I'm idle. Jesus is our idle high priest. And, and uh, people don't like to hear that because they think that that means Jesus is lazy or something but he's idle because it's done, right? That actually shows his victory, the fact that he gets to sit down now, and it shows how well you've been taking care of the fact that he's sitting, right? Jesus sitting is not showing complacency uh, or, or you know, that he's disregarding your needs. He's showing that his grace that he provided the cross is already sufficient for you, and I won't get up again, right? Not to do a work like that, that is. So standing, sitting, standing, lying down. Um, there's more verses online, but um, you can see that the definition is there. So that'll be important to know. Standing or, standing or arising means active. And the last one here is clothing. Just means something external. Uh, sometimes our bodies are called clothing. We're clothed with a body. If you were to read uh, 2 Corinthians 5, you would see that both this body right now, our flesh, and our glorified body are both called clothing. Um, that's actually one of the verses that I use in 2 Corinthians 5 to sort of discount when people try to say that death is a good thing because, oh, to die is gain. Trust me, there is a... Uh, Full explanation for that verse. Paul, the same one that said that, actually said, we don't desire to be unclothed. What does that mean? To be unclothed of your body, that means your body died. Because when your spirit leaves your body, right, that means that your body's died and your spirit leaves, right, and goes to be with the Lord or, or elsewhere, right? 
But so that's what it means to be unclothed. It means, it means you died. Um, he said, we don't desire to be unclothed. Isn't that funny, right? We don't desire to be unclothed. This is the same man that said to die is gain. We don't desire to be unclothed. That's, that's your ammo right there. I just gave you a little ammo for the to die is gain thing. We have a, an article coming out very soon, within the next several weeks, addressing that, that, that verse. Death's a bad thing. It's always been a bad thing. And he talks about that. We don't desire to be unclothed, but further clothed. That means to put on our glorified body. We don't, want to be, we don't want our spirit to take off the body. We want to be further clothed, in other words, with a new body. That's God's solution, right, to suffering, is not to take off the body. God's solution to suffering is to put a new one on, right? That Give life to your body and change your body to make it new, right? Not to have to take the old one off. So with all that said, sometimes our bodies call that, but relevant for tonight specifically is that um, in Colossians 3.10, when we manifest, this is very important, so pay attention to this. When we manifest things of the Holy Spirit, it's called putting them on. But actually, if you look at the word put on in uh, Colossians 3.10, it's, it's to sink into clothing, to clothe yourself. So when you put on, uh, let's say, you know, um, whatever, there's a certain quality that you want to manifest in your life. You don't have to get that quality from God. You're already perfect in your spirit. You just need to be clothed with it. You need to put it on, Right? You've got it already in the suitcase of your body, and you just take it out and you put it on, but you've got it, right? You're not being made more wealthy or more loving or more generous or anything like that, right? You, have, you are generous. You are loving now. That's what being made righteous or created in righteousness and holiness is. You've been made generous as a gift from Jesus. What you couldn't become on your own, you know, people talk about trying to stretch themselves or trying to step out of your comfort zone. That, that doesn't do anything. You cannot change your nature, Apart from Jesus, you can't change who you are. You can't stretch yourself enough. You're just going to break if you keep stretching yourself. You can't step out of your comfort zone enough to try to improve yourself. That's not how it works. Sin is not a choice. Sin is a bondage. That means you can't get out no matter how much you try to stretch yourself. Jesus is, gives righteous qualities as a gift. We teach godliness here all the time at this church. Love that. Teach godliness all the time. We teach it as a gift, not something you do for God, something that Jesus did for you. Godliness and godly qualities are vitally important to the order of a, of a person, to the order of a family, to the order of a nation, to the order of a ministry. You need godly qualities. If there's ungodliness, there's going to be disorder. But that's a gift to us. If you want a quality, what do you do? You put it on. You clothe yourself with it, right? That's what it's called. In fact, if you read Hosea 2.3, he actually refers to, I'm not going to go through the context of the verse, but just for, so for your reference, he refers to unfruitfulness as being naked. He refers to Israel, that I will strip her naked. And he's talking about taking away her manifestation. This is judgment in the Old Testament, of course, but being naked could be, mean no manifestation. And then when you are manifesting, you're clothed with something, right? The same way that, like, that's why I say that clothing just means something external. Could mean something on your body. Could be your body itself. Because obviously your spirit's wrapped in a body, so that's external, right, to your spirit, whatever the context. So it's very important stuff to, to, to know. So those are our verses. So as long as you know that you can go to our glossary for everything that you need there, you get more verses, though, to substantiate this stuff. Um, all right, cool. So we're good with that. So let, let's move on. Let's, um, you know, I will, um, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll move on. We'll probably come back to this slide if we need it, um, if we need it afterwards. I would say, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to just teach these, these certain principles and, and just truths. I'm just going to teach for a little bit. We'll get, we'll get into the temple after this. So 
what I want to te teach on tonight is actually twofold, um, which is going to correlate to our symbolism here. Um, on one hand, I want to talk about hearing from God. This is the part that really has a lot to do with um, the conversation place that we've been talking about recently. Um, hearing from God, we've been talking about how it's, you know, by his spirit in your inner man. That's a truth, right? You can hear from God by the Holy Spirit. That, that he doesn't speak to you through circumstances. He speaks to you by his spirit. So we've been talking about that. But before you're saved, how do you hear from God in order to get saved, right? You don't have the spirit on the inside. So how do you get saved if you don't have the spirit to speak to you? And um, you obviously need the knowledge of the Lord to get saved. And that's why Romans 10, 14, I'm just going to read you the last few words of Romans 10, 14. It says, how shall they hear without a preacher? This is, you guys that have been to the church for a while, you know, know this principle. But this is actually super, super important. When, before you're saved, you need a preacher. You actually have to depend on somebody else to preach to you. Because you don't have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, and you may say, well, couldn't God just appear to, you, to, to appear to an unsaved person on some remote island somewhere, and they don't have a preacher there? Couldn't God just send an angel or preach to them directly? God cannot. You know why? Because truth is part of the inheritance. I'm not going to do a whole teaching on this. Truth is a part of the, of, of the inheritance that you need to be worthy to receive. If you'll notice, even in the book of Revelation, when, when there was truth to be unsealed, uh, when you see the scroll that needs to be unsealed, it's just knowledge that needed to be unsealed or unlocked. The question was, who's worthy to receive it? Because you, you have to deserve it. You have to be worthy of it. You have, to, you have to either earn it, or you have to be given worthiness to receive it. Um, you need to be righteous to receive knowledge from the Lord. And if you're not righteous, right, if, if I'm on some remote island by myself, and I'm unrighteous, and I don't have the Spirit of God on the inside of me, therefore, God can't just appear to me and give me truth. He needs to send someone who is righteous to me to give me that truth because I don't deserve it of myself, the Holy Spirit can't work through me. But the Holy Spirit can work in my mind for someone else's sake, though. That is righteous. That's why they need a preacher. Need a preacher. Paul would not have written by the Holy Spirit here, how shall they hear without a preacher if they didn't really need a preacher? This is also evident in a lot of, a lot of different examples, and I'll try to breeze through this quickly, but this is why, for instance, you'd see kings in the Old Testament that God would give a dream to a king, but a dream that they didn't understand. For instance, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, right? He had several dreams, actually, which Daniel interpreted to him. Pharaoh had a dream about of the coming famine, and, and Joseph had to interpret it because God can give people dreams but because he didn't actually give them the truth. He gave them something obscure. God could give someone obscurity that doesn't know the Lord, but he can't give you the truth, right? You have to be worthy to receive knowledge. And I, again, for those that aren't familiar with that. I don't mean worthy of our works. I mean worthiness that comes from Jesus, from the gift of righteousness we've received. We're worthy to receive now because we have his righteousness. But before you're saved, you don't have that, and that's why God can give Nebuchadnezzar a dream, but guess what? If you want the truth, you're going to have to ask Daniel. God can give Pharaoh a dream, but if you want the truth, you're going to have to ask Joseph. Cornelius was another man in the book of Acts, right? That God, an angel appeared to Cornelius, standing in the room with Cornelius, and instead of teaching him the gospel, he said, Go get Peter. He'll preach to you. God didn't even communicate to Cornelius. You'd be like, if you're standing in the room already, why don't you just give him the gospel? Why don't you get Peter? Why do you got to get Peter to go to Cornelius? There are certainly maybe more details that we could talk about, but this is a hard, fast principle. He had to go get Peter, who is righteous, go to Cornelius, preach to him, then he received the Spirit. That's what you have to do, okay? You need a preacher before you get saved. But once you do get saved, 1 John 2, 27... Once you get saved, it's the opposite now. 
The only way you can hear from God before you get saved is through a preacher. You have to actually literally depend on somebody else. God sending somebody, a laborer across your path, to preach to you. How will they hear without a preacher? But once you get saved, now the Bible says we actually have no need that any man should teach us. I will explain that. But it says, but the anointing, the word anointing in the Bible or oil means to make something clear. In this context, it's talking about the Holy Spirit as, Holy Spirit as our teacher. So anointing is a good symbolic word to use here, right? Making something clear to you. So you have an anointing, the Holy Spirit to teach you, which you have received of him abides in you, and ye, uh, ye have, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to quote this in New King James, but ye need not that any man teach you. You have no need that any man teach you. Quite the opposite, right, of what he said about people that aren't saved. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth. So as a believer, you don't need someone to teach you to hear from God now. You don't need that. Noah would have been in trouble. He was the only righteous man on the whole earth, and he would have been in trouble if he needed someone to teach him in order to hear from God. There, no ark would have been built, that's for sure. Um, uh, Abraham, uh, the, basically men in the, a lot of men in the Old Testament, you read, and it's not like they all had like a church to go to to hear preaching. And it's not necessary, though, for you to hear from God personally that someone preached to you. Now, obviously, which probably isn't so obvious to a lot of people, though, you need to go to a good church. Not need because you need it to hear from God, as this is talking about, but if you want to be helped then in your endeavor to know Jesus, you need to go to a good church. You need to be reading your Bible, which is just God speaking through other men, right? It's the Word of God, but it's still through other men, right? That, that's what the Bible is. You know, that's, it's not from God directly. A man wrote that by God and put it down, right? You need these things through other men to help you in your getting to know Jesus. Anyone that really desires to get to know Jesus will take advantage of these utilities that help you get to know Jesus. The only people, like, I'll say this, I'm not condemning anyone that like, uh, whatever, they don't go to church anymore and they used to or something like that. But here's, here's the point though. That's not a sign of maturity in the Lord that you kind of fell off the bandwagon. And I think even people that are listening to this, maybe even online right now, would know that. Maybe they, maybe they used to go to church and they don't anymore. They know that that wasn't a sign of them maturing in their knowledge. That, that means something's going on. And you know what, in times where you're kind of flaking out like that, other times you need to be even more so in church. But here is the truth, though, which I won't jip you of, and that is you don't need to come to church to hear from God as if you couldn't hear from God by yourself. You can hear from God by yourself. The problem is if Noah had a church that he could go to, he'd be at that church. You know why? Because the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves so much more as you see the day approaching because there's deception out there and you need to be around people that are going to encourage you in your growth. And you know what I would say? Could Noah have grown quicker with other people around him that knew the Lord as well? I'm sure, because it's a help in your growth. You, you need that. Anyone that is interested in knowing Jesus is, is going to pursue utilities like reading their Bible and going to church that are going to aid them in that growth. But it's not because you think, I need a man to talk to me before I can hear from God. It's, a it's just a different motivation. It's not that you go to church less all of a sudden. It's not that you read your Bible less all of a sudden. I read my Bible all the time. It's not about reading your Bible less or going to church less. I'm here every service, obviously. The, the, the motivation is different, though, now. You're not going because, as even some religions, a lot of religions trap people because they think, I can't read my Bible for myself, or even maybe it's just not encouraged. I need to hear from so-and-so to preach to me before I can hear from God. 
that is not the motivation. You don't actually have any need that a person teach you in order to hear from God for yourself. You have an anointing to make everything clear to you. That's a super important principle. Again, this shouldn't dissuade someone from coming to church. This should um, encourage you, though, that I can hear from God because I have the Holy Spirit. I can be discerning. I do not have to be dependent on somebody else to get revelation. That's the truth. I, uh, we are all dependent. None of us are independent here. None of us are self-made. None of us are self-taught. N- none of us are. You get revelation from the Lord. But it's important to know, I get my revelation from the Lord, and it, therefore, I don't have to be dependent on another person to get my revelation. Right? That, 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 is, that is the truth. We come here, though, to get helped in that endeavor. Right? Um, so, so you see kind of like it, it, it's totally, totally opposite. Pre-Christ, after Christ, uh, you need a preacher here. Now you got the anointing on the inside of you now. So that's one thing I want to show you. The, 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 the last thing here I want to talk to you guys about before we get into the temple stuff is this. Um, so we're, we're totally changing gears here. It'll all come together in like 15, 20 minutes. So, 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 so put that on the shelf. Let's talk about now when you first received the Holy Spirit, when you first got saved. Um, at this church, we have learned that the Holy Spirit doesn't just like fall on you all the time. Um, you know, we, we, there's, there are plain verses that explain that in the Bible. There are symbolic verses about how the rain stopped after the ark was baptized, how the manna stopped after they were baptized in the Jordan, right? You don't need anything more from heaven, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, the Bible says that we are full in Colossians. We are full. Actually, you can, you can take us there. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. We are full. And, and if you could put the literal standard version up there for us. We're full in the Lord. Like God doesn't need to like baptize you again or, or sprinkle something else down from heaven. You're full. You're complete. You're perfect in your spirit. You got it all here. You just have to do what? You just got to clothe yourself with it. That's it. Right? Manifest and put it on. Right? You got clothes in the suitcase of your body, you just put them on. You're no richer or wealthier for manifesting it. You just, now it's evident. Right? Now you took it out of the case. That's all that manifestation of the Spirit is. But this, this will, this might, even to people at this church, sound contrary to what we teach here. But as I teach here, you're going to notice it, it's right in line. There are two fillings of the Holy Spirit, though. Uh, two fillings of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you this right now from Scripture. It's not the way that it sounds, all right? You don't get indwelt by the Spirit twice. That's not what I'm saying. But they're actually both called fillings of the Spirit, all right? Um, From Colossians um, 2, actually, verse verse 10, you are made full in him. Your Bible might say you're made complete in him. The word is full, though. You're made full in him. We're already filled with the Spirit. What is that talking about? That's talking about on the inside of you, right? The Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you. Um, uh, sometimes the Bible will say came to live in your heart, but the word heart just means insides, right? Sometimes it can be talking about your mind, because this is your inner man, but sometimes the word heart could just be referring to your insides, like generally in your body, right? Or like the Bible will say the heart of the earth, right? It just means inside the earth. So the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you, in your heart, you could say, within you, within your body. That happens one time. That doesn't have to ever be repeated again. You are now. This is the controversial part to a lot of people. 
That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we got baptism teaching online on Reform U for anyone that wants more information because there's a, it's biblically verifiable that that's true, okay? So, um, that first indwelling of the Holy Spirit is actually called baptism. The Bible literally says that baptism, referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, now saves you. It now saves you, okay? The Bible says we, we were baptized into one body. You were baptized into Christ Jesus. All that is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that means that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not a part of the body of Christ. Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not baptized into Christ Jesus. Uh, so that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the name for the first time you got saved and received the Holy Spirit to indwell you. That, that's verifiable, okay? But whether you want to call it baptism or not, for right now, we all know as believers that Christ is on the inside of us right now, all right? Um, that is the first filling, you could say, as we just read. You are full in him, full in him. That does not have to be repeated. Now, let's also go to Acts 4.19. This is, if you read the book of Acts and, and, and you're convinced that you already have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, and you know that every believer already has the Holy Spirit on the inside of them, you might be confused at first, and this is going to clarify some stuff for you. Because you read the book of Acts, and all of a sudden you see people, well, let, let, let's read it. Acts 4.19, Peter and John answered, this is King James again, Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. So what this is talking about is, they had just healed the lame man, and the religious leaders brought Peter and John, which we know are both saved at this point. And I don't mean just saved like in a pre-Christ way. I mean like Jesus already came, went, you know, he rose, he ascended, he already sent his spirit in Acts 2. They've received the whole lot of everything, right? This is not they're like Old Testament saints anymore, right? Uh, this is after the whole transition. So th this is Peter and John, saints, full of the Holy Spirit at the time. They were brought in for questioning by the religious leaders. Then, this is Peter and John talking back to the religious leaders here. Then look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, and being let go. So, so the religious leaders released them, Peter and John. And they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders um, had said unto them. Now look at verse 31. So they start praying. Peter and John meet with their own company, with, their, with, with fellow believers, and they start talking and then they start praying. And as these believers, who are already full of God, start praying, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And you're like, even people that believe that the baptism is actually referring to the second occurrence, and again, my gosh, like floods of, uh, of verses come to mind right now. But anyway, even, even if that be the case, I mean, everyone would acknowledge that these two men have already received the whole thing. Right? Like, it's, it's done. But at the very least, we know here, they have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them, and it still says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, what's this about, right? Um, there is a particular filling. If you can just get Ephesians 3.18 ready for us, Brother Andre, there is a particular filling that is not referring to, like, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. That doesn't have to be repeated. But there is a particular filling when the Holy Spirit comes from indwelling your body to permeating through your body in manifestation. This jives completely with what we talked about uh, in this series, and I, I talk about it frequently about in John 4. John 4 says, if you drink in the water, referring to the Holy Spirit, you drink him in first, and then he will spring up like rivers of living, uh, excuse me, that's John 7. He will spring up like a, like a fountain unto everlasting life. 
that is referring to two stages of the Holy Spirit. You drink him in, and then he springs up. Now, it just so happens the biblical terminology for both of those things is filling. You're filled inside, and then your body is filled, meaning like it comes through your body, like to actually permeate your body, okay? Uh, so one filling means indwelling. The other filling, like what we just read in Acts, is not clearly not talking about the Holy Spirit came to indwell them because he was already on the inside of them. Like that's beyond the shadow of any, I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But the, this second quote-unquote filling, which is referring to your body being filled with the power of God or manifestation of God, that's not a one-time event. I'm saying that there's two different kinds of fillings, and that's true, but you get filled with the Holy Spirit like he indwells you. After that, the fountain of the Holy Spirit manifests through you constantly. As you get to know Jesus, this is just a constant ongoing thing from glory to glory and, you know, until you are manifesting everything. Um, so this second quote-unquote filling, it's just important that we know this is not like a, an event that happens, right? Like I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit now, but I still need that other event to happen. No, it's not an event. It's not a one-time thing. It's what all it is is that I'm, I have the Spirit of God on the inside of me, and as I grow in my knowledge of it, it manifests and manifests and manifests and manifests, and all of those manifestations are called the Holy Spirit filling your body. That, that makes sense? Um, this is why you see even in Ephesians 3.18, he says that you may be able to comprehend with all saints, so he's talking about saints here, talking about believers, what is the breadth, length, depth, and height? So he's talking about saints comprehending, right? Learning, growing, in the full, uh, to understand the full capacity to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This, these are, he's talking to saints that have the Holy Spirit already. This is not referring, when he says that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, this is not talking about some second one-time event that happens. This is a progressive thing that happens all the time in a believer's life. You, as you acknowledge, as, you, as all the saints comprehend the love that was demonstrated at the cross for us and what was provided, you're filled with all the fullness of God. But that's a progression. That is glory to glory. As you behold Jesus, that glory manifests. As you believe, John 7, right? Out of your belly flows rivers of living water. You drink it in first, then it comes out. It just so happens that both are called being filled. Um, and that's where confusion can come in. So that's why I want to clarify these things. He's talking to saints, and he's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to rapid fire these, so Brother Andre, you do not have to put these up. Um, I mean, I guess unless you got time. But um, Ephesians 5.8, when you read Ephesians 5, you see he's talking about saints. And then in verse 18, you drop right down. He says, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He's talking to saints, and he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. This is something you should be doing. F fill up on the Spirit. Not indwelling, but he's talking about manifestation, of course. Manifest into your body the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts 4.8 talks about Peter again. Actually, this is just before. Remember that conversation I said Peter and John had with the religious leaders, right? They were brought in for questioning. We read the part after that where they were praying, and Peter and John and company all got filled with the Spirit. Well, just before they got questioned with the religious leaders too, in Acts 4.8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the, Holy, with the Holy Ghost, said unto them. He got filled, quote-unquote, with the Holy Ghost twice in the same chapter. So you see, this is not a one-time event. Like, people... I'm not even going to use the word baptism right now, so throw that out right now for a second. People think that I get saved, and then I can come up to an altar call later on and get this one-time event, all right, I'm going to bring it in, called baptism, right? But, but that's not actually how it works. The first filling, this is verifiable, just look at Reform U, okay? Um, I think at the time of recording this, it's under the what we have course, and you can see the baptism of the Holy Spirit there, verifiable. The first filling, indwelling, is called baptism. This second thing, it just happens and happens and happens. That's just manifestation. 
Your body's just being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Like I said, Paul, Peter got, quote, unquote, filled with the Holy Spirit twice in one chapter. Same thing it says about Barnabas in Acts 11.24. Acts also 13.9. Paul, it says, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on uh, this sorcerer and began speaking with him. So anytime the Holy Spirit's manifesting, it'll say, and Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, did this. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said that. It just happens all the time, right? Because, again, we know that our body is receiving from the things we have on the inside of us already. And that bodily receiving is called your body being filled, right? It kind of makes sense. But like I said, if you, want, if you want to differentiate the words, you could just say permeating, manifesting, however you want to put it. Um, he goes from in your body to coming through your body, sort of seeping through your body. All right. So that's a good amount of clarification. And so what I want to do is I just want to, now I want to show you this from the temple. The temple actually bears these symbolisms, all right, um, in everything I just taught you. So we'll take the rest of our time to do that. So we are going to go to 2 Chronicles 5. And uh, again, you're going to see everything we just taught. We're going to see this in this timeline. It's awesome. It really is awesome. This is actually one of those, like God will teach you something and then show you layer upon layer upon layer of just establishing you in this truth. And then when you see something in such complex symbolism of everything I just taught you with the temple, it's just like, we've been doing this again for the whole series, but you're like, wow, okay. The funny thing is, just to throw this in there very quickly, the Lord was teaching us this stuff just plainly, right? We've been seeing these verses and, and learning things about how things work and what Jesus provided, and, and even before, like, temple symbolism, right? And then you go over and you start reading about the temple, and you're like, wow. Like, you start realizing everything you just taught over here is portrayed in the temple, and it all works together. And like I said, to me, that is just like a huge way of establishing the truth and being like, okay, yeah, Lord, I knew you told me this, but yeah, this is just confirmation again that you really taught me this. So that's kind of what we're going to see here. Um, this actually, this timeline, for those that, that want this information, um, is actually a part of a much longer timeline, or slightly longer timeline at least, that actually carries on into like the nations that are saved teaching um, that I've taught before. This is referring to when the temple was finished, okay? When the temple was finished. Now, you guys know from like last day series and stuff, when the quote-unquote temple, the real temple, the, the body of Christ is finished, what happens? Jesus comes back, right? That's how that, that's how that worked. We went over that in the last day series because God is waiting God is not slothful in coming back again, right? Uh, he, he's patient toward us, meaning he's waiting for people to get saved. He's waiting for his full temple, the full body of Christ to be built, then he'll come back when the top stone is laid, the way that Zechariah says, right? So this is actually the finishing of the temple. I'm going to give you this end part here, but I'm not going to give you the full thing, just because it's, it's not fully relevant, and I don't have time to do all that. But um, if you're interested after service, though, in getting the rest of it, I have no problem explaining it to anybody that wants kind of the rest of this uh, thing because I could probably give it to you pretty quick. So, but 2 Chronicles 5.3, the temple was finished, and then this is um, from, from my understanding here. I've just been learning these things and establishing these things recently. But the temple was finished, I believe, in the eighth month of a particular year. And then they waited, I believe, about like 11 months until the seventh month of the next year to have this dedication feast to celebrate that the temple is finished, all right? Um, I'm going to submit to you very quickly 
that the Feast of Tabernacles, if you know what that symbolized in the Bible, from our three feast message, was celebrated right after the dedication of the temple being finished. Feast of Tabernacles, just so you know, is a, is, is a symbol of um, a celebration of the manifestation of the Spirit, which also involves the resurrection. So the temple's done, and then what do you see? The Feast of Tabernacles, which is celebrated, quote-unquote, at the year's end. So anyway, for those that understand it. But anyway, 2 Chronicles 5.3. It says, Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves together, uh, assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was in the seventh month. Uh, this is referring to like the Feast of Dedication. They had this feast to celebrate the temples done. Again, right after this came the Feast of Tabernacles, but we won't get into that tonight. Verse 4, And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Now, as we've been seeing, the ark is here, right, in between the two cherubim. It wasn't at first, though. It was, it was obviously in the tabernacle before here. But while they were building the temple, the ark wasn't here. The ark was still over at the tabernacle. So now they're bringing um, all the, the tabernacle stuff, and they're transferring it over to the temple. So when it says here that they took up the ark, it's not saying they took it from here. They took it from over here, and they're bringing it to the temple now. All right? So it says um, in verse 5, And they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, and these did the priests and the Levites bring up. And also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark, they sacrificed, goes on from there, verse 7, and the priests, listen to this, and the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord unto his place, to the oracle, the conversation place, right? That's what the oracle means, conversing, right? Talking about this room here. So the priests bring the Ark, and they put it right there in this room, the conversing, which we know is the head of the temple. So listen to this. Priests take the law in the Ark, and they bring it and put the law into the head of the temple. All right? Then it says, um, let's see where we were. In the most holy place, and it says, uh, even under the wings of the cherubim, which you see right here. Verse 8. For the cherubim spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim covered the ark and the staves thereof, the, 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 the poles thereof. Verse 9. So it says, they drew out the staves of the ark, and the ends of the staves, uh, I'm drew out the staves of the ark, that term, if you're wondering about that, that, that there's debate about what that means, and so um, ask me after service if, you, if you're curious. Most people do not believe that that means that they took out the poles from the ark, but um, this is why, if you look at like an aerial view, I don't know if this is the case or not, but this is why, you probably can't even see it from there, but this is why I, uh, I just basically extended, I extended the, the poles here forward. Some people think that that's what it means, I don't know. But anyway, it says they drew out the staves of the ark. That the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. Verse 10. It says, and there was nothing in the ark save or except the two tables which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel. All right. So let's look at this. So you've got a house that does not have the law in its head right now. What, we're, what I'm about to show you through this timeline, this is actually showing you how someone gets saved and gets added to the temple, all right? Now, stay with me real quick on this. The temple is finished at this point, okay? So the symbolism, here's, I will share with you my little bit of confusion here, but it's one of two things. The temple is finished, so that means the church should be done being added to, right? 
but they're having this celebration about the church being finished. And yet, what I'm about to read you is undeniably a symbol of someone getting saved. And it starts out with this house that doesn't have the law in its head, with the priest bringing the law to its head. We're going to get into that, though. So, what we're about to read is clearly referring to someone getting saved. What I don't quite know yet is, one, is this sort of just reiterating how people get added to the temple, despite the fact that the temple was finished at the time? Because temple being finished should mean no one else is getting saved, right? So either it's a doubled reiteration of how people get added to the temple, because sometimes the Bible will do that and double symbols up, or it is a symbol of the last person getting saved and added to the temple, okay? It could just be showing, okay, the temple's finished. This is how the last person, the top stone, gets added to the temple. But regardless of why, very clearly, and I will make it very clear to you, this, is, this whole timeline here is going to show us how someone gets saved and using the temple as sort of a, a pre-Christ and then how it receives Christ, okay? So it's going to show the salvation of someone being made a part of the temple. So it says that, that basically the priests bring the law into the mind of, let's call the temple, this person. The priests bring the law into the mind, and this would kind of jive so far. We don't have a lot of evidence yet with the whole, how will they hear without a preacher? Uh, you could see how that could already bear some symbolism, right? Priests, that's our job as priests, right, is to preach and proclaim the praises of the Lord to people. And so they bring the law, and they put it in the mind of this person who didn't have the law in their mind previous. They do that. But watch this, though. If we continue in verse, um, verse 11, verse 11, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, this is referring to them bringing in the law to the temple, it says, uh, 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 for all the priests that were praying, okay, verse 12, that also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, and Jedithon, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. So they all start playing this music and singing. Okay? Verse 13, It came to pass that as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. Pause there for a second. We know from, I don't know, how the, yeah, uh, 1 Peter 2.9, What's our job as priests? To proclaim the praise of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's talking about our witnessing. That is how God in the Bible defines our witnessing to other people as priests that proclaim the praise of him who called us out. And literally what you see is, the symbols here are priests carry the law into the mind of a person because again, with the whole series behind us, we already know that's the head of the temple and those are the eyes of the temple. And that's where the law is supposed to go, between your eyes and the midst of your heart. The priests carry the law into the temple and put it between the eyes of this person. To double the symbolism, they go out of the holy place, of this most holy place, and they start singing praises and thanking God in front of the temple. This is, in fact, and this will be confirmed, but this is, in fact, talking about priests witnessing to this person, this house, giving them the law, and now it can become the temple, okay? They're proclaiming praises, and to double that symbolism to assure us that this is what that's symbolic of, they bring the law and put it in the mind of somebody, okay? That is the head of the temple. So 
let's keep going now. It says, they lifted up, okay, in praising and thanking the Lord, and when they, when they lifted up their voice in the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever, that then, as they're proclaiming the praises of him who called them out of darkness, after they praise, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. The house is filled with the glory of God, but it specifically describes it as a cloud, which I'll mention in a second. The house is filled with the glory of the Lord after the praises are proclaimed in front of the temple and only after the law is established in its mind. This is very clearly referring to that first filling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that only comes after someone receives the knowledge of Jesus into their heart, but they also have to have a priest to do it. Because you can't hear, this temple can't receive, or this house, I should say, cannot receive from the lamps on the inside of it, speaking it to its inner mind, its, its inner man. Why? Because it doesn't have this in here yet. The priests have to bring the law in. Someone outside of it has to bring the law in. We know from what we've been talking about up until this point, as established believers, you don't need that anymore to hear from God. Of course, you receive that, but you don't need it to hear from God because you have a light in your belly that shows you the bread, shows your mind the bread. This, this house did not have that. And so to show how someone gets saved, a preacher from the outside of it needs to establish the law in your heart first. Once that happens, obviously, now you don't need a preacher anymore. And this actually acknowledges that this timeline, but the law needs to be brought into your mind first, put between your eyes. Now you can receive for yourself, but before that, you needed a priest to proclaim his praises to you, okay? That, that's what, this is why God wrote this, okay? I'm confident enough in that. Now watch this. It said, it calls it a cloud also. Let me just stop real quick. A cloud means what? Making not visible. This is to show that the, the, this first filling is an invisible filling. It has nothing to do with manifestation. The first filling is an invisible one. It's not seen. He comes in completely invisible, not seen, in a cloud. Okay? I'm going to confirm that to you in a second. But just note that. First filling, indwelling, after they receive the law, cloud. Watch this, though. It says the cloud filled the house of the Lord. And in verse 14, what happens after we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? After True, we needed a priest to proclaim his praises at first. We needed a preacher to preach to us. But after we've been preached to and we now believe it, now we've got that law secured in our heart, now the glory of God comes in on the, and fills us on the inside of us invisibly. After that happens, what happens now? Now the priest cannot stand to minister by reason of the cloud. Now you have no need that any man teach you. You see that, what just happened? For, what did the, this, this house needed someone to bring the law in at first so that it could be indwelt. Without that priest proclaiming the praises of the Lord, it couldn't receive. But after the law was put in, now the cloud comes in. It says, now the priest can't minister anymore. I can't be your minister anymore, not in the capacity at which, it, not in the capacity in which I was your minister before. Because before I was your minister, I was your lifeline to the truth. You couldn't get the truth without me. Cornelius, you got to get Peter. You got no one else. He's got to preach to you. But now, after Cornelius receives the, the Spirit of God on the inside of him, he has no need that Peter preached to him anymore. Now, granted, he receives the preaching of, of Peter as a, as a help, as a brother in Christ, but he doesn't need Peter anymore to preach to him, for him to hear. So now the priests are said, after the cloud comes in, the invisible presence of God comes on the inside. 
now it says the priest can't stand to minister anymore. I can't be that minister that I was to you before. Why? By reason of the cloud, because now you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and now you've got candlesticks in your belly, and now I can't be that minister I was to you before. You see that? I can't minister to you anymore in the capacity it was before, um, because now you've got the truth for yourself now. Okay? Keep in context everything I said before about church attendance. But anyway, that's the truth, right? The priest could not stand to minister anymore because the re by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Filled the house of God. This is the first filling. And it calls the first filling a cloud. Furthermore, let's keep right on reading. Um, we're at the end of chapter 5 right now, so I'm going to keep right on reading through chapter 6. This is just the next verse. So look at chapter 6 now. Verse 1. This is, um, I'm not skipping anything here. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then said Solomon, right after this happens, then said Solomon, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. You see that? Cloud, darkness, the first filling is invisible. The Lord dwells in thick darkness in the first filling. The first filling is not, I understand people have different ideas about this. The first filling, when God first comes and dwells on the inside of you, it's not, has nothing to do with manifestation. Whether something's manifest or whether something's not, is not relevant. He came to indwell you, now you have no need that any man teach you. Therefore, the priest could not stand to minister because the glory of the Lord had filled the house now. Now you've got the truth for yourself. Now you're a priest as well. The first filling is described as a cloud and darkness. Now watch this. Uh, Solomon goes on to address the people, and then Solomon says a prayer. Let's catch up in verse 41, the very end of chapter 6. Solomon starts praying. This happens. Now Solomon starts praying to the Lord. And this is what he asks the Lord. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, into your resting place. Watch this. What does arise mean? Arise means to be active now, right? The first filling is described as darkness and cloud, which means it's not visible, right? Making something not visible. This first indwelling, this first filling, has nothing to do with manifestation, right? We're drinking in the water. But what happens after you drink in the water, John 4? He springs up into your flesh, filling your flesh, second filling, manifesting himself, giving life to your body, right? Now Solomon is praying, not, Lord, send your spirit down again. Now he's praying, Lord, arise now. Become active now into your resting place. I thought he was already in the resting place. Because resting place, whether you call it this, that word just means rest or resting place, regardless of how you translate it, he's talking about the temple, right? When he says arise into your resting place, he's talking about the temple. I thought he was already just filled the temple. Why are you asking him to arise to your resting place now? Because it's the second filling. The second filling is literally the Lord arising into his resting place now. Now he's permeating it now. Now he's filling your body. God's intention with your body is to fill your body with all the fullness of God. You have access to that right now. You have access to that right now. Your, your circumstance right now, God is able to fill your body with all his fullness for, for whatever you need. This is God's intention. He put it in symbol here to confirm the plain verses we just taught on. It says, Arise into your resting place, you in the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation. Another manifestation word, right? Put on these things. Be clothed now with salvation. And let your saints rejoice in your goodness. Okay? Now watch this. He goes on next verse, verse 42. O Lord God, turn not away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of, your, of David, your servant. Very next verse, after Solomon prays this. 
to arise into your resting place and let your, your priests be clothed with that salvation now. Very next verse is, is chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. Again, we're just reading straight through chapter divisions. Very next verse after he says this, look what happens. When Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven, I'll explain that in a second, and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The glory of the Lord fills the house again. You see that? Twice it happens. If you read this whole account, the glory of the Lord fills the house twice. This is exactly as the Bible preach, uh, teaches and what I just read to you. The glory of the Lord fills the house twice. Um, now, just so you know, when it says the fire came down from heaven, that was not to fill the house, just so you're aware of that. That was to consume the burnt offering, which represents worship. Okay? So this does not mean that in the second filling, the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven. That would contradict Scripture, and obviously we've taught on that in the past. The Holy Spirit doesn't come down from heaven again. Okay? Uh, this, it didn't say that fire came down from heaven to fill the house. It said it just came down from heaven because it says it was, it was uh, 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 receiving the worship, the, the burnt offering. That, 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 the filling the house thing is completely separate from the fire coming down from heaven, if you'll notice that. Okay? But watch this. Second filling fills the house. Verse 2. But look at this filling, though. Different. What did Solomon pray? Arise into your resting place. Become active now. Your priests be clothed at salvation. And verse 2, and the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house, kind of reestablishing what he said before. But verse 3, and when all the children of Israel saw how the fire had come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house. You see that? It mentions the fire again, but again, that is because that's the Lord receiving worship. I won't teach on that right now. But as far as the filling is concerned, they saw they saw the glory of the Lord upon the house. Saw. First filling was what? Cloud and thick darkness. That's, that means not visible. The second filling is what? A making visible of what was invisible. A making manifest of what was already indwelling. A second filling permeating through your body of something that was already indwelling on the inside of you. They saw the glory of the Lord visibly with their eyes, saw the glory of the Lord on the house. The Bible, you know, uh, I had a verse that I was looking up beforehand, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up right now. Um, the Bible talks about, even in the book of Acts, in, in it, 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 you don't have to put this up there, Brother Andre, but it's Acts 4.33 for your own reference, that with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection, and great grace was upon them all. There's a difference between the Holy Spirit being in you and upon you. In you is that first filling. Upon you is the second filling, meaning he's permeating your body. He's upon you now, which makes sense, right? You're being clothed with him. And after Solomon prayed that the priest would be clothed and the Lord would arise into, permeate through his resting place, it says the people saw the glory of the Lord upon the house. That's manifestation. The second filling of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing thing, not a one-time event, referring to the manifestation of the Spirit. And look at this. Upon the house, and they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord for his good and his mercy endures forever. All right, so... We're basically done there with the, uh, I could explain a little bit further as far as the, um, uh, uh, the, so the rest of the timeline, but that would take us another hour to, to do that almost. So I won't do that right now, but I will tell you this though. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a little bit of a, a clue. I don't want to get too off track here, but they do keep the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a celebration in part of the resurrection. After that, after they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which, again, is to celebrate the year's end, the temple is finished, 
Again, that's why I was saying you can see clearly that this is referring to like someone getting saved and then manifesting what they have. Like it's that whole first and second filling. So that's why I wonder if this is referring to like the last person being added or something. Because right after that, they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which is basically when people dwell in fruitful, uh, they get fruitful branches and they build houses for themselves. And it's to celebrate the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, again, in part the resurrection when Jesus comes back at the year's end. And right after that, for those that have heard the nations that are saved messages, what you see after this is you see Solomon goes and he conquers this kingdom, right? Solomon is Jesus, remember. The temple's finished. The resurrection has come. Feast of Tabernacles. Solomon conquers this kingdom, which seems like the destruction of the earth in one way or another. And what he does is, if, you, if you've heard the nations that are saved message, you know what he did was, it says he destroyed the people, but it says there were people that were left that were not of Israel, that were not destroyed. It says this, right? This is going to make a whole lot of sense to you if you've heard the nations that are saved message. People that were left that were not of Israel and yet were not destroyed in what is clearly the end of the age, right? Temple finished, etc. Feast of Tabernacles. These people that are left, you know what Solomon does? He makes them servants, okay? They pay tribute. Wealth of the Gentiles, if you've heard that. Listen to our nation that are saved stuff. That this is all stuff that's supposed to go on on the new earth, right? People that serve us, if they don't serve us, they'll perish. Isaiah chapter 60, they bring in their wealth to us. Well, they had to pay tribute to Solomon. But it says of Israel, which represents the church, those that are heavenly, those that are believers. He didn't make any of them servants, but they became captains um, over the people. Okay? Says all that. And then you see that right after that is where the Queen of Sheba brings gold to Solomon. Also, Solomon sends ships to Tarshish and brings in gold from there as well. If you read Isaiah chapter 60, and I believe Psalms 72, both of those chapters are about the new earth, and both say that gold will be brought to us and to Jesus from Tarshish and from Sheba. So you can see this whole new earth, this climax at the end of the temple's done, everybody's saved, and then these things are brought in. I will just sort of submit that to you. You can read those passages on your own time. Um, so I guess you don't have to ask me after service anymore. That's what I would have told you. But, um, but you see this. It is, it is, it's one of those things where you're like, oh my gosh, when you're reading it, because you're like, this is exactly what this is. But again, just those references. I think, I believe, it's Psalm 72 and um, uh, Isaiah 60 about the new earth where you can see the sort of, um, it talks about Tarshish and Sheba bringing in wealth and gold to us on the new earth. So anyway, it just so happens after this, that's exactly what you see. People, in case we didn't, in case we needed more confirmation of that. Anyhow, so I'll leave you with that. Um, really cool stuff. Just shows you how you get saved and God's intention, not just to indwell you in thick darkness, but God uh, also, his intention when he's on the inside of you, as you grow in your knowledge of the Lord, um, he, he, he arises and clothes you with it as well, right? And the glory of the Lord will be seen upon your house, right? That's how that works. And also the important point, which we will use probably next week, and that is that that house needed the law to be given to it at first by an outside source. But after that happened, they could not stand to minister anymore because now the house had the glory for itself now, right? That's what we have on the inside of us. Now we can hear from God for ourselves, right? Any, any, any ministering we receive now from other people is, is a help and an aid to what we can already hear from God on the inside of us, right? God wrote a whole lot of stuff in here, right? He wrote a whole lot of stuff in here uh, to show us Jesus and what we have in him whole lot of stuff. This, this book that we read from is all about Jesus and what he did for you. The whole thing. Whether you're reading about Solomon, 
whether you're reading in Ephesians or whether you're reading in Second Chronicles, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's about Jesus and what he did for you, right? So it's awesome stuff. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reform Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this uncommon truth out to the world. If you'd like to support this good news, you can do so at reformchurch.com give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reformchurch.com.